Welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Emily Jane. Emily is a teacher. She is an educator. She is an expert in what I would say is womb sovereignty, conscious menstruation. She is all about empowering women to access their creative forces through sexual sovereignty. She envisions a world where everybody is an expert in their own body. She teaches holistic reproductive wellness through something called the Fertility Awareness Method, whereby she empowers women through accurate information, accessible tools, loving guidance, to reconnect them with their deepest wisdom, of course, that is found within the womb. And through immersive experiences in person and online, she is transforming the paradigm paradigm of what it means to be a vibrant and fulfilled woman. This is a good one. I learned a lot. Emily is passionate and brilliant and eloquent. She also has a really relatable way of communicating that feels authentic and wise. I've included links in the show notes to all of the ways to connect with her. I think that you should do that. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I would strongly encourage you to consider doing that. And without further ado, here is Emily Jane. This episode is brought to you by Cured Nutrition. Cured is the leader in CBD supplementation with an entire line of products designed to take your everyday life to its ultimate potential. Their daily staples are formulated with an in-house clinical herbalist, which has taken the traditional CBD regimen to an entirely new level of optimization. If you're anything like me, you like waking up feeling good and living well, you've probably toyed around with the idea of finding healthy alternatives to jumpstart your morning. Personally, it's why I start my day with Cured Rise, which is their focus supplement. It's a powerhouse blend of functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps, broad spectrum CBD, and powerful adaptogens. It gives me clean, clear, and sustained energy without any of the caffeine jitters or crash that I get with coffee. After I get going, Aura is next. It's another blend of functional mushrooms, CBD, and adaptogens, but it's got a twist. We all know how important it is to sustain our immunity nowadays, and this covers all of my bases. The vitamin D, prebiotics, crucial antioxidants are delivered straight to the gut, which is the foundation of our emotional and physical health. Am I right? Second brain. It's where the majority of our serotonin production and immune function begin, or it keeps everything in check performing at its best, so I have one less thing to worry about, and I obviously cannot forget Zen. I use it every night. It is certainly why it has become Cure's number one selling relaxation and sleep product. You know the long night spent tossing and turning? Yeah, not with this stuff. It has ingredients like reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, magnesium, passion flower, broad spectrum CBD, so thankfully, Restlessness is something of the past. Cured Nutrition products are your answer for a daily dose of health. Visit curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com. Be sure to use the coupon code LOVEBOMBS, and at the checkout, you will save 10% off your order. So, consent has been obtained. Uh, (laughs) Emily... How do you want to go by? Because I know you have a couple names. How do you want My to name is, Just Emily is good. Yeah, you can just call me Emily. That's great. Okay. 
I should have been more clear. I <laughs> I understand the first name. What about the second part of the name? Well, I'm confused as to what you're asking me about. I didn't know I went by many names. Well, I had Emily Jane written down, and then I also yeah. had Emily Mattingsley written yes. down. Yes. And so this is like a really interesting place to start. So historically, I've been a traditional school teacher. And so the name Emily Mattingsley and the last name Mattingsley would be what many of my former students would know me by. And I still do work part time for a public school education board in my city. And so I've had to really try my best to somewhat separate that because I definitely express a certain range of radical views that I don't think many people <laughs> within the public school board would necessarily want me talking to students about, even though I really should be talking to them about that. And so I try to not necessarily use that formal surname within the context of my business, Muja Moon, just to have a little bit more of a... Um, uh, privacy between those two realms of my life. Yeah. And then for a little bit more visual context to those listening, you are wearing gold earrings with snakes Ooh. on them, which I think adds, <laughs> adds a bit of a context to your vibe, it seems. <laughs> okay. So Emily, we for those that don't know you, that have never heard of you, that have no idea who you are, like what's what's your deal who are you what are you passionate about how do you describe yourself mm. well i am many things as most people are on this planet i think that uh the most formal title i can use for myself is i am officially a certified fertility awareness educator meaning that i teach women how to track their cycles their biomarkers of fertility for healing health and also for effective conscious contraception but before that, I was previously working as a yoga teacher. So I really came into the realm of understanding fertility really originally through the organic energetics of understanding the body, understanding the wisdom of the body, and understanding how to live in a symbiotic, respectful relationship with the body. And um, now what I do is I really fuse these two teachings together. So all of the sacred teachings of Eastern philosophy, of yoga, as well as the scientific grounded tools of fertility awareness method and the biomarkers of fertility to really guide women into sexual sovereignty. All right. There's, <laughs> there's so many great phrases in there. So conscious contraception, I heard, I heard sexual sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So you are a, you work solely with women. I work with women. I also have clients that don't necessarily identify as women. They have non-binary identities, but they are people that possess wombs. They are people that menstruate and bleed. And so I'm just willing to work with anybody who wants to be a part of the community. So I really just like to use we and whoever wants to be a part of we gets to be a member of we. Um, so primarily I'm working with cis women as well as non-binary menstruators. And I also do work in cooperation with the various partners. So who people are in relationships with since our sexuality is for us and it really starts with us, but it tends to, um, grow out into these intimate relationships that we build with men and with our various lovers over the course of our life. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my... We just hang on. I'm stuttering. My brain's not <laughs> my brain's not fully activated as yet. We got connected through my partner, Kendra Adachi, mm -hmm. 
who's a pal of yours and a client of yours. And I was just talking to her about 20 minutes ago. And I was like, what should I, should I ask this chick referring to you? I hope that's not a derogatory phrase. Um, And she said, I feel like Morocco was really pivotal in her life. You should ask her about Morocco. And Mm -hmm. I don't have any context for that. I don't know what Mm -hmm. it means, but I just thought as a jumping off point, what's the deal with Morocco? Yeah, Morocco was without a doubt a transformational experience that like unquestionably changed the trajectory of my entire life. And I often say to people in conversation that moving to Morocco was the most important decision I ever made in my life and the best decision I ever made in my life. And um, that actually is where I got, yeah, that's actually where I got inspiration for my business name, Muja Moon. Muja is the Moroccan Arabic word for wave. Um, which we can kind of like tie into later. We'll get around to that bad boy. (laughs) Um, So, you know, when I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, I was just moving through a lot of those traditional life choices and feeling very lost and very alone as if my life was like this damned up, clammed up, um, stuck, you know, stuck place. And I really didn't even know what the words, you know, personal power, sovereignty, agency, autonomy, those were not even words that I would have ever understood. If someone was like agency, I would have been like an FBI agent, like, what are you going on about? (laughs) And so I think like many of us, you know, if we're just continuing down a particular path, the experiences are going to get more intense. So I was working as a full-time school teacher, I'd kind of jump between substitute teaching, temporary contracts. I'd, you know, take off to Bali for three months. I'd come back. I would drive my car out to Tofino and just like live in my car for six weeks on like crown land and then come back and teach. And I was just feeling like incredibly lost in this endless cycle of seeking, this endless cycle of a job and a life that completely burnt me out and would deplete me. And then needing to catapult to the completely different end of the spectrum and just like go get lost in nature for a few months and recharge and like ask some big questions about life. But as that continued to happen, that really wasn't like a sustainable way to live. And it really wasn't the way I wanted to spend the next few decades of my life, just lost and alone in the drum of traditional life choices. So things got worse. You know what I mean? Like things got worse. I got more tired. My skin continued to erupt with like really painful acne. I had this really awful um, chronic neck tension. I could never, ever sleep. And so things got to such an intense point that I did what I always did, which was I booked a plane ticket to run away from all of my problems and my life. And was just like, oh, hashtag, she's not lost. She's just an adventurer. (laughs) (laughs) Not all who wander are lost in Totally, yeah. So just totally, you know, cultivating that type of identity, you know, as this free-spirited wanderer, when really the truth is I was lost. And so I popped over to Morocco. I got a job teaching um, English as a foreign language. And that first year in Morocco you know, did not save me from any of my problems. It chewed me up. It spit me out. All of my patterns, all of my problems (laughs) followed me all the way across the ocean. (laughs) And that first year was an incredibly intense experience of the final breakdown 
which is the final breakthrough. And I'm so incredibly thankful that I trusted my intuition that led me across the ocean to Morocco, even though it did not um, instantly catapult me into this joyous, flowy life that I'm currently living. It really led me through a series of lessons and initiations and deaths that really eventually, like most people, guided me to my dharma, woke me up to exactly what it is that I'm supposed to be doing on this planet. And if someone had told me 10 years ago, it would be all about periods and menstruation. I would have never predicted. <laughs> I would have never predicted that that's like the wild road that life has always been leading me to, which I found in a dusty surfing village in North Africa. And so what was the final breakdown? The final breakdown was a couple back-to-back unhealthy relationships that ended in me finally completely severing and stepping away from a pretty toxic on and off situationship, (laughs) which coincided with being thrown out of my apartment in Morocco in the middle of the night (laughs) because I would not give in to various blackmailing that my landlords were trying to manipulate to get some extra cash out of me, which I know just sounds really intense to like randomly throw into a conversation, but this was all happening within the same couple weeks. And so I'll never forget just like literally finding myself like sitting on the side of the road, (laughs) Um, heartbroken with my stuff, calling some people, can I stay at your place for the next month? And it just woke me up to the radical responsibility that I had put myself in the situation and that I was here because of the various choices I had made. And I needed to start getting serious about taking responsibility for the choices I was making and the places that it was leading me. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I love that. I mean, I don't love that that happened, but I love that it happened, if, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so you found yourself in the middle of the night with nowhere to live in an African country. <laughs> and you're calling around saying, hey, I need help. And perhaps realized also that you had agency, to use that word, in crafting a path forward. And that also your own life choices had got you to that place. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you can imagine that in the middle of all of these wild choices I was making, it really came from my own addiction to adrenaline and my own kind of path as an adrenaline junkie, which, you know, I'm grateful for. It led me to do some really cool stuff in my life, make some really good good choices, learn to surf, learn to snowboard, go bungee jumping tons when I lived in New Zealand. So you know, I was thankful for all of that, but at the same time, the actual physiology of my adrenal glands was really catching up to me. And those bad boys take a break when they decide to take a break. And so, although I didn't know it at the time, you know, this, this really heightened adventurous life I was living really led me to this path of adrenal gland fatigue in which the body kind of totally halts, shuts down and says like, no, no choice, no option, no energy, you're, you're, you can only rest. And in the midst of that, I was having a lot of various skin issues. So really painful, red, dry skin 
that didn't just bother me from a place of vanity, although it's not fun to walk around and not feel your best, but was also just viscerally painful. And so I'll never forget posting in this Facebook group um, that my sister had added me to called Pussy Posse. I don't, know, I don't even know if it still exists, but it was just this like super little witchy pagan community of women that were offering each other little, little tips and advices for connecting to the moon and drinking your herbal tea and all these various things that I really didn't know anything about. But I just posted in there about my skin. I just said, this is what's going on with my skin. I don't really know what's going on with my health. And one of the women just replied and said, maybe it's hormonal. And I had never once in my life, like thought about like hormonal health or like my cycle or like, oh, my menstrual health is related to the rest of my overall health. So she said, maybe it's hormonal. Check out this podcast. So I listened to a podcast that was about women's fertility. And in that moment, my mind was blown and cue me for the next six months, one year, two year, three years, however you want, really want to define it, but especially for those next six months, falling down the most fascinating rabbit hole I've ever found in my life, which was fertility as something that matters within the health of women, regardless of whether you want to have a baby or not just as a part of the rest of our overall health. Please say more about that. <laughs> well, we live in a world that likes to reduce women to childbearers and likes to reduce the potential of women's pers- uh, you know, purpose and passion to motherhood and being a mother. And therefore, we reduce the very um, concept of women's physiology and to our womb, to our uterus, to our cycle as something that exists for the purpose of having children. And if you're not having children, if you don't want to have children, if you don't want to have children ever, if you don't want to have children yet, then this part of your body is just nothing you need to learn about, nothing you need to connect to, nothing that you need to think about. Just, you know, um, get an IUD, get the pill, shut her down, live your life and go talk to a doctor in 10, 15 years when you feel like you want to have a baby. So yeah. Does that, does that, is that a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. So you're suggesting that that's not the best way to approach no. things. Yeah. I'm suggesting that the uterus is not a poorly designed body part that is unnecessary And if we didn't need it, why would we have it? And if we didn't need to have periods, why would we have periods? I'm suggesting that the body is an incredibly intelligent system and that the ovaries play an incredibly important role in the rest of our health because it is a vital part of our entire endocrine system. The ovaries are two little glands that are connected to our uterus through the fallopian tube that produce these Uh, two hormones called estrogen and progesterone. And both of those hormones have a long list of vital roles that they play in the rest of our overall health that are not related to conception, that are not related to getting pregnant. One of them would be progesterone, the hormone in the second half of the cycle, key, key factor of relaxing the entire nervous system, as well as estrogen. Estrogen is closely linked to testosterone, 
So when we produce testosterone, when we produce estrogen, we get a little bump of testosterone. And I mean, really, when I say all of this, this is like literally the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. But what I'm suggesting is that if we didn't need uteruses to be functioning, then we wouldn't have them in our body. If I may zoom out for a moment, you obviously you work with a lot of women. You're an expert in this space. What is your what is your God? My brain, I swear, is not functioning today. (laughs) Well, Um, I love I actually I actually am appreciating kind of like the the eyes darting off to the corner because like because I I. I must say that I talk about this a lot and I don't ever really talk about it with men one-on-one. Yeah, let's, let's do it. I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead. I, sh- <laughs> I shifted my brain out of neutral. Um, when you talk to, we talk to women, when we think about the culture, the society, mm-hmm. what, what do you think most women know about their bodies in general? What do they know about menstruation in general? Well, most women know next to nothing. I think that most women, and when I say this, I can really just compare my understanding of my cycle and my sexuality and my health before I went on this very specific journey of reclaiming my womb. And I think most of us just understand that like, okay, you're going to start to bleed. And when you start to bleed, it means you can get pregnant. So watch out and be careful. And it's going to suck. And it's just a part of being a woman. And that's it. You're just going to now, you went from being a young, a young girl, and now you're quote unquote, a woman overnight. And you're just going to live and bleed. Sometimes you're just going to live. And sometimes you're going to bleed. And here's your Advil and here's a hot water bottle. And here's some bleach tampons and like, good luck. Yeah. And, and, and I may add, and you're going to do all of that in a society or culture dominated by men who really don't want to talk about this. And it's bad to talk about this. And, and like, perhaps here's a sprinkle of shame as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say probably not a sprinkle, probably a fire hose of shame. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, maybe this is a good lead in. You had something on your website about liberating the body from patriarchal conditioning. Mm-hmm. And also, I would love to hear more about that and conscious menstruation. Mm-hmm. What, what do you what do you have for us? What do you <laughs> like to, to the average human listening to this podcast? And they're like, OK, I'm intrigued. Emily seems to know some shit like I, I relate to what she just described there. And what am I missing? Why is it important? Mm-hmm. So now my brain is going off into a cloud. You said <laughs> conscious menstruation. And before that, you said patriarchal, oh, conditioning. patriarchal yeah. conditioning. And so yeah. what I mean when I say liberating the body from patriarchal conditioning is the conditioning that to be a woman is to be inherently broken. And to be a woman is to be a medical event. For the rest of your life. And to be a woman means that there is something wrong with your body and something dirty with your body. And mainly that the entire process of reproduction for a woman is a constant problem to be solved, a constant inconvenience to be managed, 
and something that you have to spend all of your reproductive years worrying about, wondering about, thinking about, and just kind of moving in the dark to the left, to the right, not really knowing anything about the way your body works. And so really the entry point to all of this is this idea of conscious menstruation, which is that menstruation is not a curse. It is actually a gift and that you are not on your cycle when you bleed, you are actually always on your cycle. And the key event of your entire cycle is a process called ovulation. And 60% of all hormonal activity takes place in the couple of days around the process of ovulation. And this is something that we need to get educated on and really learn to track and understand in our cycle because menstruation is just the downstream, revol- downstream result of ovulation. And so it's really about entering this paradigm shift and moving into the feminine realm of cyclical power and cyclical living and cyclical understanding that I'm not like moving and droning along this linear experience of life. And then, oh, damn, and I have to now deal with my period, but rather realizing, oh, wow, like I live in a cyclical body that mirrors the cyclical dynamics of every natural ecosystem around me. My body decays once a month when it sheds antimicrobial and antibacterial blood out of my vaginal canal. And this means that I have a healthy, vital body that has the potential to create life, whether I want to channel that creative force into conception and into having a child, or whether I want to channel that creative potential energy of my light-filled peak surge of ovulation, the other pole. In the cycle, I can use that vitality to channel into my creative projects, into my business, into my relationship, into whatever it is that my womb and my creative power wants to magnetize and grow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You reminded me that I once lived with a woman who I think did similar work to you. She worked with Mm. women tracking their cycles and um, maybe that's the wrong phrase. But in her own life, she managed it week by week. So she Mm -hmm. said, for example, the the week before, I'm completely going to botch this. Like, hey, in in this week, I don't have any meetings because I don't want to talk to anybody and I would rip their throat out. And in this week, I'm super energized, super high vibe. So I do most of my creativity and design work there. Anything to say on that? Or Yeah, for sure. I-, I mean, what you're talking about, yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is exactly this entire concept of cyclical living and what it really means to live in sync with your cycle, which is exactly what I teach my clients to do in that practical kind of day-to-day life of what does it look like to release ourselves from this patriarchal conditioning that our bodies hold us back and that our periods are something to eliminate, to deal with, to get rid of, and rather come to see that like, it's actually really cool to be a cyclical being because we function with the same circadian rhythm of men, but we actually get a little bit of this bonus experience of also having this cycle that functions in a way that is more similar to the rhythms of the moon. So exactly, so exactly what you said, the way I like to teach it is the concept of a four season. So menstruation is, is winter. After menstruation, we move into the pre-ovulatory phase that we call spring. From that, we move into our fertile window that we call summer. And then after that, we're in our luteal phase, which we call fall. And what I like to teach my clients in a lot more specifics is basically 
how does it feel to exist in those different seasons over the course of the year? So like, what do you like to do in winter? Like there's not a lot of light out. You want to sleep a little bit more. You want to get real cozy with some tea. You want to catch up on some Netflix. And then what about spring? Spring, it's like you start to get excited. Like, ooh, like what should I do this summer? Like we should start trying some new things. Like let's try, let's like pull the bikes out of the garage. Or I want to start switching up how I've been eating food. Like, ooh, the farmer's market is opening. And then moving into summer. So summer is like, you're taking your holidays, you're going to the music festival, um, you're going camping with your friends, you're doing the thing, like whatever the thing is for you. And then as you drift into fall, you know, you're harvesting, you're practicing gratitude, you're prepping and you're preparing so that when winter arrives, it's more of an easeful experience because you got everything sorted and ready for yourself in fall. And so the same way that we have these cyclical experiences over the year, this is what we're doing when we tap into conscious menstruation and cyclical living is revealing the potent power of the rhythm that is always happening and has always been happening, but we've been trained to ignore the wisdom of our body. And we've been trained in this patriarchal linear society to value productivity over rest and to value constant expansion and growth within the systems of capitalism, rather than living our life from this permaculture lens, that rhythms and cycles are not to be conquered, but are rather something to be worked with something to be respected, something to be revered, and to really just honor that natural essence of what it means to be a cyclical being. That was such an eloquent and beautiful mic drop moment, I feel. (laughs) It's like, damn, that was really good. Um, And so as the, like the, the science perhaps masculine structure oriented person in me is like, okay, so practically what does this kind of way of living look like? Yes, let me flex. I love it. I love okay. the science. <laughs> <laughs> I love the science. And, and the reason why within my teachings, I love to fuse the science and the sacred together is because, you know, it's what you said. It's like people, people are like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds really cool. But like, is it true? Is it real? Yeah, and I it, think it's Go ahead. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to. Oh, I did mean to interrupt you, but I didn't mean it to do it rude, <laughs> rudely. I meant it more conversationally. I think, mm-hmm. in particular, like in in the space of personal development or health and wellness, nutrition, mm-hmm. all these things, there's a lot of like the light and fluffy, mm-hmm. love and light, just manifest mm-hmm. some abundance, and and these kind of phrases get thrown around a lot, or even ideas or ways of living, ways of communicating get mm-hmm. tossed about. And they don't necessarily have any kind of rigorous foundation underneath them, mm-hmm. right? And it sounds like what you're describing is not that, and mm-hmm. rather it has a tremendous scientific mm-hmm. discoveries that underpin precisely what you're, what you're suggesting. Yes, and everything I'm suggesting suggesting functions through the body in this amazing connection called the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. Oh, five times. Well, can you say geez. that five times fast? The hyperallergenic pituitary aardvark <laughs> tractor. <laughs> 
Love it. Yes, you are also officially a certified participant. Yeah, yeah. Anybody listening, you can come book a call with me. <laughs> I will teach you. I'll teach you nothing about nothing. Yeah, I'll teach you this about is, the tractor. But seriously, what what did you just say? What why is that important? Cool. So I'll repeat it one more time and then I can explain it a bit. So it's the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So the word axis would mean, you know, two things that are connecting. And the two things that we're connecting are two parts of the brain. So the hypo, uh, now I'm going to mess up my science. Our, I think the, the aardvark <laughs> tractor was the end of it, I believe. So we've got the hypothalamus and we've got our pituitary. So those are two glands that function in the brain. And these two parts of our brain govern both our nervous system as well as our endocrine system. So if we kind of shift over to the endocrine system, the endocrine system is a group of glands throughout the entire body that produce various hormones. So it's actually the hypothalamus and the pituitary that connect with our ovaries and tell our ovaries what to produce and when to produce it. And it does this in this back and forth, really beautiful, majestic communication between the brain and the womb. And then the other side of that is that this entire thing is getting linked with the process of our nervous system. And so um, basically our brain chats with our womb, our, our hypothalamus and our pituitary chat with our ovaries and tell our ovaries when to make certain hormones. And then obviously these various hormones are shifting the way that our mental health, that our emotional health, and that our physical experiences are changing over the course of the cycle. So what I like to kind of remind people of is this whole idea of the circadian rhythm. Like, are you, Jeremy, are, Jeremy, are you the same person at 1 p.m. and 1 a.m.? No. No. If I ask you, a, if, if Kendra, your partner, asks you a particular question at 7 in the morning or 7 in the evening, are you going to guarantee mm. give the same answer? Mm. You know? Right. Yeah, go ahead. Like, probably not. And so this, this entire idea that our hormones shift over the course of a 24-hour cycle that is linked with our sleep and waking cycle is the exact same principled science of the inferior cycle, which is the cycle that women experience over the course of our ovulation and our menstruation. But it's just happening over this extrapolated, lengthened out cycle that, as I said, has these mythopoetic connections to so the rhythms and the cycles of the moon. Yeah. And it makes sense, right? Because when like, like women create life, like this is, this is not like some kind of simplistic thing that's mm -hmm. going on or some kind of box to tick. It's like, this is the coordination of the perpetuation of a species of, mm -hmm. of like, from nothing creating a human being full of mm -hmm. consciousness and delight. And so it makes sense that there's some kind of significant biological occurrence happening to navigate mm -hmm. that. I, th I think that kind of gets overlooked. I would love to hear your thoughts on this actually, in terms of wh what you said earlier about the cultural or societal recognition of, of a period is mm -hmm. like an annoyance, a shame-inducing obstacle, an irritation. And then earlier you used the phrase, I think, a bonus, like that women experience a bonus mm -hmm. thing. And then that bonus is actually you get to create life and you get to do this really beautiful, miraculous thing. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that kind of, that side of it gets lost in the talk of menstrual cramps and periods and all the rest of it. 
I don't really have a question there, but I would love to hear, maybe the question would be like, what do you think of what I just said? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you, what I, I love everything you just said. And it's reminded me of the fact that periods are why all of us are here. We are all here. We are all here because of periods. We are all here because of the intelligent, divine, physiological function of women's reproductive anatomy. And um, within all of that, I love this vision I have for the future of men and women coming together in their heteronormative relationships, as well as same-sex couples, non-binary people dancing through the connections they have with all of their various lovers and all of us coming together with these two types of polarized energy, right? Like the moon experience and the sun experience. And what does it really look like in our modern world, as you were kind of asking, like in the day-to-day relationship of a man whose um, sexual peak happens once a day at a similar time every day linked to his circadian rhythm, what does it look like for that human to be living in an intimate relationship with a woman who does not have fertility that functions at the same time every day, but is on this monthly trajectory with her moon cycle. And what does it look like for those two people to come together consciously and really operate in this back and forth dance of where you are in your daily cycle, where she is in her monthly cycle and really embracing the fact that our partners are not the same people every day. And this is a beautiful thing to really be in a relationship with a woman and watch the way that they shift and change over the course of their cycle. And then how do we manage pregnancy avoidance and pregnancy achievement if both people want to have an integral, healthy, happy body that is not suppressed or disrupted by, you know, big pharma birth control options? Yes, that was one thing that I I had written down to get your take on so i would love to hear about you're referencing like the pill for example Mm -hmm. and other Mm -hmm. contraceptives i'd love to hear that but i had a i had a question there because as a person who is in a a relationship with a woman Mm -hmm. who does have various seasonal changes uh Mm -hmm. month to month one thing that we did that i mentioned before we started recording and you said mention this because i have have (laughs) essentially fierce opinions about what you what you just said to me was she would use an app on her phone to track her cycle and her symptoms and then she sent me an invite to this app so that i could download it and i could periodically or any anytime i wanted i could check in and see where on the cycle she is and so i could be like oh she's in fall or, oh, mm-hmm. she's in summer or, oh, hey, spring's coming. So I could know and have a little bit more of a uh, more compassionate understanding as to what was going on with her at that time. And so y- your take on that is is what, though? Because you didn't seem super excited about using an app to track anything. Yeah. So I always like to tell people that, you know, I definitely don't think I don't, I definitely don't think apps are like inherently harmful or like awful or bad. Um, I do have a podcast on this on my website that folks can listen to, which is called why you should delete your cycle tracking app. And, and the reason why I like the idea of not using apps is because I want partners to be communicating. I want people 
to be expressing. I want um, people to be picking up on cues and vibes and language and having direct conversations about that. If we're talking about partners wanting to cooperate and sync and support um, their female partners, as well as in the experience of the woman, the problem is that people are using apps in order to manage their their fertility and to to have an idea of when in their cycle they're fertile and when they're not. And no app can understand or predict where you're at in your cycle because it's a device on a phone that exists outside of you. So if you don't know what the hell is happening in your body today, how would your phone on the other side of the living room know what's happening in your body? So for me, the entire concept of apps is this neck up living where we're staying in our head and we're actually just simply transferring our reliance as women from pharmaceutical companies to now this entire uprise of femtech companies, which are saying pay $10 a month for your subscription so we can tell you where you're at in your cycle when they don't work. All they are is a digital dress up version of the rhythm method. So all they've done is taken everything as little gals did in junior high, which was like circle a little date, you know, secretly in your calendar, in your daytime, or to be like, that's when I got my next period, my last period. So I'll count 28 days ahead and circle the next one. So I'll know to bring tampons in my bag with me. They're literally taking that simple practice and they're plopping it online and they're jazzing it up with these like notifications and all of this stuff when really it has no idea what's happening in your body. But you as a woman have the power to actually learn the skill of fertility awareness method so that you yourself can gain insight into what's happening in your body. So the entire concept of like this digital dress up version of the rhythm method is based on this principle of counting days in our cycle to gain insight into what's happening in our body. And it just doesn't work because variety is a part of humanness. So women are not robots. Our cycles do not function on this perfect 28 day cycle. So it's normal to have two or three day variabilities in each cycle that's even optimally healthy. So if you're someone who does have some more irregular cycles, the apps are going to serve you even less. And so I just basically advocate for this entire concept of wisdom keeping and um, this entire concept that we just don't need the apps, that it's that it's unnecessary, that without them, we actually have the power within us to connect deeply to sensation below the neck in order to understand what's happening in our body. And therefore, like, why I just don't need the app on my phone. And I don't think anyone else does either. But I thank the apps because they're a little bit of like a entry drug, if you will. So women get off the pill or they take their IUD out and they'll pay for some prescription, you know, some subscription to an app. And it just gets them thinking. And then as time goes on, they tend to outgrow it and they tend to kind of see the ways in which the technology is limited because they have this growing innate desire within them to become the expert of their own body. And that's what I teach my clients to do is how can you become the ultimate sovereign expert of what is happening in your reproductive health, not by counting days, but by checking in with your biomarkers through a practice of sensory awareness and mindfulness. So yeah. What do you think about everything I just said? I mean, I'm mindfulness. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm I'm here to, I'm here to learn and I'm very (laughs) conscious. I mean, honestly, as a, as a dude, in this society and culture in 2021, I'm also a little bit 
cautious in terms of how I navigate this topic mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm conscious of other humans making a mistake or making a, a poor choice of words and getting mm-hmm. annihilated on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and so that's <laughs> just, just being forthright. Like that is in the back mm-hmm. of my mind. So if at any, I probably should have said this uh, 40 minutes ago, but if at any point I say, or, or do something that untowards, <laughs> please call me out on it and call me forward. Um, for me, my take is that it sounds like even the best designed app with the most rigorous data collection or input from the user is at best a best guess, mm-hmm. right? It's still an algorithm who is that is crunching some numbers and spitting out a, a window of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like in my experience, it's like in this three to four window day window, you're likely highly likely going to be ovulating, right? Mm-hmm. So don't have unprotected sex in this three to four day window. Mm-hmm. And what it sounds like also is that you described it as a gateway drug, which I, I love. And it sounds like <laughs> the use of the app starts to kind of hold the, the person's hand and say, hey, pay attention to these five indicators. Pay attention to your mood or your pain or mm-hmm. you know, how your body feels. And then perhaps once they do that for a while, they start to realize, or they have, they perhaps start to become more comfortable and intuitive, or they start relying upon their own inherent wisdom mm-hmm. uh, to navigate these decisions. Is that yeah, fair? For sh- yeah, for sure. And that's why I think that there's nothing necessarily harmful if you want to use an app as this entry-level point of revealing the rhythm of your moon cycle because it's always been happening, but you've never really stopped and paused consciously and seen like, oh, damn it, there are times in the cycle that I got a lot done. And there's other times in the cycle where I don't really want to do much. And neither one of these are problems to solve. It's just the way I am and really going on that journey of self-acceptance of like, this is my nature as a cyclical being. But no one should be using anything that has the word algorithm in it for pregnancy (laughs) avoidance. Yeah, no, like fair. it, and 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 the reason I'm passionate about it is because there are massive platforms out there with ten times more followers than any fertility awareness educator I've ever seen, um, that are pushing pseudoscience and are we are FDA approved, we are FDA cleared, and I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that's been approved and cleared by the FDA that hasn't really ended up being that good for us, you know, all mm. people and especially for women. And so, you know, there's these big femtech companies on the rise that are really marketing this whole idea of like, take your temperature every day and then we plop it into our algorithm and it shoots back this. But the flaw in all of them is that they are all using past cycles to predict what's happening in your cycle right now. So imagine you want to know what the weather is. Are you going to go look at the weather report from one year ago today? to find out what happened one year ago today so that you can decide what you're going to wear today? Or if you want to know what the weather is today, are you going to step outside your door and use your eyes and use your breath and feel on your skin and actually tap into this revolutionary radical idea that if you want to know what's happening in your body today right now, you can just check in with what's happening right now today within your body. And so that's where I think 
um, there needs to be more conversation within the use of apps and with various femtech, which is, um, you know, they are not reliable forms of cycle tracking or pregnancy avoidance. But no harm in cyclical awareness, you know, no harm in beginning that journey of connecting to the cycle. You used a word earlier that I'm intrigued to learn more about, which is biomarkers. Mm-hmm. So what is the, again, like practically, what mm-hmm. does it look like to utilize this fertility awareness method mm-hmm. to, how do you help guide women back towards a more intuitive understanding of their cycle? Yeah. So thank you so much. Earlier when you were asking about like, okay, like this all sounds really cool. Like we're used to a lot of this, like put it out there, manifest it, but what does it really look like? And, um, that was really my entry level point in all of this, uh, hippy dippy magic, witchy vibe circle stuff was also just like, Whoa, we're cyclical, man. We're just like nature, like mind blown. But I was left pretty unsatisfied with that level of explanation as well. And I also wanted to know, like, how can I live this? Like, how can I do this? And so it's important to know that fertility awareness method is an umbrella term. So there's many different types of fertility awareness method, but fertility awareness method, as we've kind of danced around in this podcast is a framework for you to track the biomarkers of your fertility. So I'll speak to the kind of fertility fertility awareness method I teach, which is called symptothermal. So within symptothermal, we're looking at two of your biomarkers. The primary number one biomarker that we track when we connect to our cycle is cervical mucus. So cervical mucus is a hydrogel that is produced by our mucus that responds to rising levels of estrogen within our ovaries. So as the ovaries produce more and more estrogen, we have this cervix that relaxes, that opens and secretes this fertile fluid called cervical mucus. Now, when it comes out of our cervix, the only place for it to go is down our vaginal canal and exit out of our vagina onto our vulva. So what we do is we teach women or I teach women this standardized practical way just to wipe consciously before and after they use the toilet so they can start seeing over the course of the month when they have cervical mucus present, which is the number one sign of understanding where they're at in their cycle regarding fertility, but also just a tool for monitoring your own hormone health. So every time you wipe, it's a chance to do a little at-home hormone test. And then after that, the secondary biomarker would be our temperature. So every single day when I wake up, I take my temperature at the exact same time with a $10 old school glass thermometer that I got at my local drugstore. Um, It's at the same time every day and women kind of tend to get lost here and they're like, oh my God, how am I supposed to do that at the same time every day? I think I always think to myself, well, we were never told that taking the pill at the same time every day was like too complicated or hard for a woman to manage. So swapping out a pill for a thermometer is not like this wild, insane kind of um, change in commitment level. So we take our temperature. We also plot that on our chart. And then you learn to cross-reference those two pieces of data. So cross-referencing your cervical mucus, cross-referencing your basal body temperature. And we use those two markers to tell us when our fertile window is open and then when our fertile window is closed. And then for some women listening, little important precursor is they're probably going to be like, wait, what? I thought I can just get pregnant at any point in my cycle. I thought 
like we've just been ingrained that again and again and again, really from this pedagogy of fear when it comes to women's bodies, that pregnancy is this thing that's like lurking around the corner coming for us at any moment in time that we have to quote unquote control. Um, and so these are the two primary biomarkers that we, that I teach women, cervical mucus and basal body temperature, but, um, there's also many others. There's things like LH testing. So, you know, you buy your little pee strips, um, and you pee on them once a day and you get an idea of where this hormone level called LH is that surges when you're ovulating. Um, you can also check your cervical position. So you use your longest, cleanest finger and insert that within your vagina every day and actually feel your cervix because your cervix will change in position and opening and texture over the course of your cycle. So I know I'm throwing out a lot of information here, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hold myself back from nerding out too hard because I could just go super deep into the nitty gritty of it. But um, I just really love this entire concept that that this doesn't need to be this separate additional layer that like, oh, damn, I'm supposed to be like this empowered goddess. Like I'm doing all this shit. And like now you're telling me I got to take my temperature every morning, too, because I can't support the oppressive medical culture of, you know, contraceptives. <laughs> like, damn, I have to do yet another thing. What I really like to do with my clients is remind them, this is a lot more than learning to chart your cycles. This is reclaiming your womb power. And instead of viewing, taking your temperature every morning as this overwhelming task, can we make that a mindfulness practice? Can you start every day with a 10 minute meditation at the exact mm -hmm. same time every day? Can we view checking for our cervical mucus as an intimate tending to the yoni, as an intimate connection to our own body and what it really means to reclaim our female physiology by directly touching it and interacting with it outside of a sexualized environment or a medicalized environment. And what does it look like just to come back into communion with um, the shifts and changes that occur? on our vulva throughout the course of the month. Hmm. Is it too simplistic to suggest that there's only one week out of the month that a woman could get pregnant? Um, there's two ways to look at it. Ovulation in an incredibly concrete scientific perspective is a process that only lasts for 12 to 24 hours once per cycle. So ovulation re refers to the moment that a fertile egg is released, released out of the ovary and the egg only survives between a window of 12-ish to 24-ish hours. But earlier, when you when you kind of talked earlier about kind of like, well, yeah, this is like the entire regenerative process of our whole species, it would actually be pretty hard for us to be repopulating the planet if there was only 12 hours per cycle <laughs> that we could like get it done and get it right. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is our body produces that fertile cervical mucus in the days leading up to ovulation with those rising levels of estrogen. So those that, that um, fertile cervical mucus is this hydrogel that sperm can survive in and live in for about three to five days. So what they do is the sperm come in contact with this fertile cervical mucus, and then they go hang out in these little rooms in the cervix called the cervical crypts. And the dudes just like hang out there for a few days. The cervix is like, do you want a sandwich? Like what show do you want to watch? Like the egg's not ready yet. Like just hold up, have a little soak, do your thing. 
and they wash, bathe, and nourish the sperm so that when the egg is launched, the sperm can then continue their travel to see if it's able to meet and fertilize that egg. So outside of that window, we don't produce fertile cervical mucus, meaning the body actually produces this non-fertile mucus called um, G-mucus, which actually blocks and plugs the cervix. So outside of the days that we Mm. don't have fertile cervical mucus, the acidity of the vaginal canal will kill sperm within minutes or hours. And when we say minutes or hours, we mean 99% of them are dead in minutes. And like a few might survive for a few hours. So outside of this specific time, these six days, which compensates for the maximum lifespan of an egg, 24 hours, as well as the maximum length that sperm can survive in mucus, which is five days, we have a scientific, a scientifically rigorous understanding of the body that pregnancy is only possible for six maximum days per cycle. And there's also a myth that I've even heard doctors say, which is that you can ovulate more than once in a cycle. And that's also absolutely impossible. Your body can move towards ovulation. You can have rising levels of estrogen that creates some mucus. And then you could have a shift, a change in your life. You could move. You could get really stressed out. You could get a new job. You could go through a breakup. You could experience a particular trauma And the body's not going to ovulate because ovulation is a sign of thrival. It is not something that the body necessarily needs to do. And a process of the body will shut down in times of survival, which we chatted about when we talked about the the hypothalamus and the pituitary, both controlling hormones and controlling the nervous system. Mm. So this entire concept of women ovulating can be delayed. We can have it delayed. But when we practice fertility awareness method, we aren't guessing or predicting when that day comes. We're looking specifically at those biomarkers of the mucus and the temperature. So we know, Ooh, I was moving towards ovulation and then something changed in my body and I haven't actually ovulated yet. Uh, my vagina went back to dry and then we were like, Ooh, it's getting all juicy and wacky again. And then we see a shift in our temperature and we know we ovulated. So Fertility awareness method is highly effective, both in regular cycles and in irregular cycles, because we're not predicting anything. We're confirming ovulation happened after it's occurred by looking back at what we've seen in the past few days. So yes, pregnancy is only possible six days per cycle, but you cannot predict or guess when it is going to happen. You can only identify it after it's occurred. Gotcha. Did you say wappy? <laughs> I meant like wappy, like wap, like wet ass pussy, like the, the Mickey, Mickey Minaj song. <laughs> I was like, did I? I don't think I know that adjective. <laughs> wappy. It's um, from Dr. Uh, it's from Dr. Minaj. Yeah. Okay. Dr. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Minaj, OBGYN. I mean, well, I mean, you talked earlier about you know, 10 years ago or whatever, you could not have predicted your, your life as it mm-hmm. is. And I feel like I just had one of those moments of like, yeah, 10 years from now, Jerry, you'll be on a podcast talking about wappy vaginas <laughs> and uh, learning about menstruation. Like that's impossible to me. Like what is a podcast? Um, mm-hmm. uh, since we're on the topic, w- when it comes to birth control in terms of the pill specifically, 
I imagine you have some pretty strong feelings about mm-hmm. that. For someone listening right now who perhaps is is on the pill or has been using it for their whole life and hasn't actually thought tremendous amount about it, mm-hmm. how do you start to have that conversation? What does that person need to know? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say the pill was an incredibly important part of the story of women returning to their body. And how were women in the 50s having like fifth, you know, 15 kids, 12 kids, eight kids, supposed to just like jump from that, like not allowed to open their own bank account, like not allowed to divorce their husbands, like babies left, right, and center. How are they supposed to jump from that to like, I chart my cycles and I'm a sexually sovereign goddess? So I see the pill as something that was necessary and served a role in the sexual liberation of women, although I like to remind people that, you know, this isn't a story of moving forward, it's a story of moving backwards. Like, this is what the witches taught. Like, you asked me what I was in the start, and it's like, well, essentially, I'm a witch. This is what the witches taught. They gave women the tools to manage their own bodies so that they didn't actually have to rely on anyone else's perceptions of morality or external systems to provide access to various contraceptions for them. And so, For a woman right now who's on the pill, you know, your body, your choice, like you get to do whatever you want and you get to decide what works for you. But what's really lacking in the conversation around oral contraceptives like the pill, as well as implanted contraceptives like hormonal IUDs and copper IUDs is consent. And within the creation of those various methods, consent has never been a part of the development of any of those tools. So back when the pill was going through its original studies in the United States, you know, about, you know, 50, 60 years ago, um, the study was actually canceled because women in the States were like not vibing with this entire trial. So they moved the trials to Puerto Rico, where women had less agency and less ability to actually say no to the trials. And the women within the trials in Puerto Rico didn't know what they were in this trial for. And they were given oral contraceptives because the original invention of that was really for eugenics and really for the forced sterilization of women of color. And so women were in this trial taking these oral contraceptives, not even knowing that they were consenting to something that would not allow them to get pregnant. And so the pill has always been falsely advertised as a one-size-fits-all band-aid that will, quote-unquote, fix and balance your hormones and fix and balance your cycles. But that's actually completely inaccurate and is some pretty fancy marketing tools behind an industry that makes billions and billions of dollars a year profiting off of the fact that women don't understand how their body works. And so I think that women are allowed, not allowed. I think women should have access to various contraceptive methods, but I believe firmly and deeply that if we understood the way our cycles work, a hell of a lot less of us would be choosing them. So this entire myth that we can get pregnant at any point in our cycle, this entire concept that the pill regulates and balances your cycle are just not true because what the pill does is it floods the body with this synthetic hormone called progestin. And progestin is not the same as progesterone. And that fake synthetic hormone, progestin, 
gives a negative feedback loop to the brain. It just says, oh, we don't need to do anything to the ovaries. We've got this really high level of this hormone. And what it does is it puts the body into a state that's most similar to menopause by turning off the function of the ovaries. So what happens then is the ovaries become completely inactive and completely dormant. So this entire pelvic bowl of the body is starved of blood flow and circulation and proper function, which within the energetic realm, what is that doing to our intuition? What is that doing in our ability to connect to what feels right and what doesn't feel right? We have all the time within our culture, like, I just have a feeling about something. I have a gut feeling, like, go with your gut. Like this is the entire concept of the womb as an intelligent center of what feels right and what doesn't feel right. And so these various different options, oral contraceptives, invasive contraceptives like IUD, all are based on this idea that like the body needs to be tricked and the body needs to be solved and something needs to be fixed within your body. And we need to slap this very superficial layer over whatever is happening in your health that is being viewed as an inconvenience rather than a young girl who's 16 with menstrual cramps learning about cyclical living, learning about connecting to her cycle, learning about how to eat for her cycle, how to exercise in rhythm with her cycle, certain parts of the cycle that it's really good to push towards her fitness goals, other parts in the cycle where it's good for her to slow down. And so we are completely starved from that type of education. And we're instead given this kind of false myth of the pill as a one size fits all cure that will take away all of our problems when it doesn't even regulate your cycle. It gives you a fake withdrawal bleed that has no physio physiological resemblance to the process of menstruation and it suppresses ovulation. So it always really surprises me the amount of times I talk to women on the pill and I'll mention that they don't ovulate. And they're like, what do you mean I don't ovulate? And I think that's just ridiculously unacceptable that women have been taking a medication for 10 years and they don't even know what the medication does and how it works. Mm. And I just don't see any parallel in the same lack of informed consent in the way that we approach men's health. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Okay. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like we, we could jam on this for hours. I'm glad yes. that you do have a podcast and that you are out there on Instagram and other places putting this work into the world. So where can people find you? So you people can... People can find me everywhere um, under the name Muja Moon, M-O-U-J-A, the Moroccan Arabic word for wave, Muja Moon. So that's my handle on Instagram. That's also my website, www.mujamoon.com. I've got a Facebook page, not really active on there. Instagram is a much better place to connect with me or just subscribing, subscribing directly to my website. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to connect about any of this stuff, I got info on that Instagram. I've got some blogs on the website. Um, people can subscribe and get a little free downloadable 20 minute talk about um, fertility awareness method. And I teach fertility awareness method, both one-on-one -on -one to clients. People can always be in touch for a little free 30 minute consult. And I also teach in my group program, Charting Shakti, which your partner Kendra was in. 
um, which is just this really beautiful four month long experience where we fuse together the science of developing cycle tracking with all of the sacred womb work of what it really means to work through the patriarchal conditioning to return to a place of loving embodied sovereignty and um, real respect and reverence for the power of the womb and cyclical living. So yeah, um, I also teach yoga on online sometimes. So yeah, if you're into that, just uh, connect with me in any of those ways. The, uh, the sample size is small, but my partner Kendra did work with you and she loved it. She would come out of your sessions jubilant and really fired up and occasionally angry uh, <laughs> at what she'd, what she'd learned. And so I think um, if somebody, li- if, if you are listening to this, perhaps, and, and you said you have a free 30 minute consultation. So someone could just sign up and chat with you for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, take advantage of that. If that, uh, if that sounds like something exciting, Emily, thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with me today. I hope mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I learned a lot and um, I'm sure that those listening have as well. Yeah. And thank you so much, Jeremy, for giving this platform and this space for us to chat about cycles and menstruation, which is just a general topic that doesn't always get the amount of uh, yeah. attention it deserves. So I just really thank you for stepping forth and like being willing to I just, know, have a I new just, type of convo. Yeah, I just... Actually, just thought of a question that perhaps should have should have guided the entire conversation, but maybe we could do it again. But if there is a short response to how can I, as a man in this society and culture, help to promote the changes that you are describing? That's a really great question that I don't think I've ever been asked before. Love it. And what comes to mind for me is to embrace that internal work of returning to your own feminine nature and embrace a reverence for the cycles that not only exist within feminine bodies, but what does it look like to come back into alignment as a man with the way you exist with nature, with work with everything and what does it look like for you to yourself embody a cyclical essence of both honoring rest mm. over or you know in, in equanimity with reproduction um because i think all of these energies flow within all of us and yeah yeah it's just a it's a big work to come back into right relationship with the earth so we can therefore come back into right, right relationship with women's bodies and vice versa. Those two kind of flows of cyclical essence moving back and forth between each other. So what I'm hearing is in order to support this feminine revolution, I need to take more naps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, just... but it, seriously though. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, and I've heard this from many people in many conversations of like getting more men to respect the feminine as a whole would be quite a revolutionary act. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just try to start that revolution along with you. And, I, and like, I'm realizing that we're having a second podcast here and I'm conscious of, <laughs> of your time and energy. Um, but I think that is an important component and, and I'm, 
I'm conscious that many women will see this episode and what we're discussing and, and give it a listen. Mm-hmm. And I doubt that there's very many men who would see it and be like, oh yeah, I want to learn more about birth control or I want to learn more about menstruation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so perhaps part of my part is to promote this episode wholeheartedly when it comes out. <laughs> like, dudes, you got to listen to this shit. It's important. <laughs> Yeah. And if I can give my own little retort to the second podcast we're doing right now, which is, um, I think it's hard to encapsulate kind of what I was saying, we take more naps, because I think what I'm really trying to get at is that the oppression of women's wisdom about their own bodies that really occurred in the burning of the witches 500 years ago is what gave birth to the rise of colonial capitalist systems in which the feminine reverence in all of us was oppressed. And for all of us, it became about, you know, women's bodies as factories to produce workers and this total severance from just the idea of bodies being for pleasure and connection um, and creativity. And so all of it, all of this is really, is, is really all wrapped up in one cord. So whenever we do our own individual work of what does it look like to reimagine our joyous lives outside of these consumer capitalist um, regimes, it's within that new space that the earth regenerates and women are revived and everything comes back into proper alignment. So you're right. Just take more naps. Just more naps. Take more naps. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your permission. I'm not a good napper. I'm not, I'm not proficient, so I'll need to really dive all into that. Do you have a favorite book? Or like, what's a book that every woman should read around this topic? Um, every woman should read Cunt, A Declaration of Independence by Inga Musical. Okay. Yeah. Cunt. Yes. All right. I have not heard of that, but I will, uh, <laughs> I will check that out. What a title. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. For real this time. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> you. Well done. And um, talk soon. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Ooh, so much womb wisdom and sexual sovereignty and body knowledge wrapped into one conversation, right? A lot to chew on there. And as I mentioned, I've included links in the show notes to all of her links, her website, her Instagram. You can check it out. You can book a call with her and just uh, start contemplating the nature of existence. Am I right? This is a paradigm shattering episode, potentially. So I loved it. I'm glad you're here. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for sharing, for the five-star reviews. It all helps make a difference. And yeah, if there's a person in your life that you think would benefit from listening to this conversation, whether that's your partner, your parent, your friend, send it along. Let's spread the word about body wisdom, womb wisdom, sovereignty, all the good things. That's it for me. I appreciate you, and I will talk to you again soon. Oh, I nearly forgot. If you want some plans for New Year's Eve, for a week and you want to go to Costa Rica and hang out on a beach with me and learn a bunch of stuff and go to a waterfall, I'm hosting a retreat with two of my friends, Traver Bohm and Leela Dilla, both of whom who have been on the podcast. 
And you can check out the information at my Instagram, at longdistancelovebombs. Why not come and play in Costa Rica to start the new year? That sounds fucking awesome to me. Just saying. <laughs>